The following message comes to you from the pulpit of Zion Primitive Baptist Church in Zion, Alabama. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com. I want to welcome you today to the Zion Primitive Baptist Church podcast. This podcast is an outreach of Zion Primitive Baptist Church, which is located in the Zion community near Gordo, Alabama. I'm Elder Chris McCool, and I serve as pastor of Zion Primitive Baptist Church. We are a congregation of believers in the sovereign grace of God where families worship together through the simple practice of preaching, praying, and singing. If you live in this area or are visiting here, we would love to have you attend worship services with us. We meet every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. and every Sunday evening at 5 p.m. and the first and third Wednesday evenings at 6.30 p.m. I'm happy to note that our daily podcast is featured on Grace Alone Radio, which you can find at gracealoneradio.net. You can find the schedule on the website, and you can also download an app to your phone so that you can listen wherever you are. Grace Alone Radio is a 24-hour streaming service which carries the message of God's sovereign grace around the clock and around the world. Zion Primitive Baptist Church is located at 9487 County Road 49, Gordo, Alabama. That's near the intersection of County Road 49 and Alabama Highway 159, about 10 miles north of Gordo, Alabama, and about 8 miles northeast of Reform, Alabama. If you're interested in finding more sermons, you can go to our website at zionpbc.com, that's z-i-o-n-p-b-c.com, where you'll find all of our posted sermons as well as a link to subscribe to our podcast. You can also subscribe to our website which will update you every time a new sermon is posted. As we continue our journey through the book of Job, we've come to the point where Bildad is making his second attack against Job. You may recall from the last sermon that Bildad compared Job to a light put out, a traveler trapped, a criminal pursued, and a tree rooted up, basically telling Job that he was in a hopeless situation. As he first began to answer these accusations, We saw Job referencing his feeble condition. He continues today talking about that. He he says that he's an animal trapped and a criminal in court and a traveler fenced into a dark place or like a king dethroned. He goes on talking about different pitiful situations that people find themselves in and that he feels himself to be in. But ultimately we see Job's faithful response. In his anguish, he turns to the only thing that can give him hope, and that is the fact that his Redeemer lives. Join us today as we continue to see Job's answer to Bildad and learn that his hope is our hope. But first, we have a song selection that I hope you enjoy. After the song, please stay tuned for another message of God's sovereign grace from the Zion Primitive Baptist Church pulpit. Yeah. 
notice he said, you insult me. And now let me give you some illustrations. He says in verse 5, if you will indeed magnify yourselves against me and plead against my reproach, he goes on to now give them some illustrations of what is, being, what is going on. Know now that God hath overthrown me and hath compassed me with his net. In other words, I'm like an animal that's been trapped in the net of God. And God is out to get me. Now, remember, child of God, it is not God that's out to get him. So here again, Job is a little mixed up. He's not right, but, but he feels this. This doesn't matter whether he's right or wrong. He feels trapped like an animal. And in a sense, he is. It's the devil that's done it, but he's feeling like it's God. I'm so thankful over in about chapter 38, God's going to set the record straight. But right now, he's struggling with that. And notice, by the way, that not one of his miserable comforter friends has helped him figure this out in the right way. Everyone, they're just pushing him farther and farther away from God. They're just pushing him farther and farther into a harsh view of what God is, who he is, and what he's doing. He's like an animal trout. Verse 7, behold, I cry out of wrong. Our violence has been done to me, but I'm not heard. I cry aloud, but there is no judgment. In other words, in the courtroom that I'm in, I'm not getting a fair shake. In my courtroom, when I cry out to God, I'm like, a, uh, I'm like a criminal in court who's not getting a fair trial. He hath fenced up my way that I cannot pass and hath set darkness in my paths. He, he says, I'm like a traveler. I'm like a sojourner in a place where I'm fenced in and it's total darkness. Now, I want to say this. You know, God sometimes suffers us. To endure the darkness. Sometimes in our lives, God suffers problems to come in upon us. Now, remember, God is, in a chastening way, there are times when God brings things upon us. But generally speaking, God's not bringing the troubles, but God does suffer them. He does suffer them. And I like, you say, what does suffer mean? It means to permit or to allow. But I like to use the word suffer because that's a Bible term. <laughs> There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you're able. That's the, that's, the best that's the best characterization of God's relationship to pain and suffering in this world. It is a situation where God suffers it to occur. He doesn't make it happen. He doesn't cause it to occur. But he suffers it. And there are times he suffers it. And the darkness comes upon us. And in fact, Isaiah chapter 50 and verse 10 deals exactly with that situation. Listen to what he says in Isaiah 50 and verse 10. Who is among you that feareth the Lord? So stop right there and understand this is, a, this is an exhortation to children of God. It's not to the reprobate. It's not to the wicked. This is a child of God, someone who fears the Lord. Isaiah said, who is among you that feareth the Lord, that obeyeth the voice of his servant? It's actually an obedient child of God, trying to do right. But notice the situation this fearing, obedient child of God is in. That walketh in darkness and hath no light. That describes my situation sometimes. And now, look, I'm not saying I'm, you know me, I'm not... Perfect. I, I've got all kinds of problems. My family would especially be able to tell you about all the problems I've got. 
But generally, I fear the Lord. I try to fear the Lord all the time. I try to be obedient. I'm not intentionally walking in disobedience. And yet there are times when I find myself in darkness and I have no light. There was a time when the disciples were on a ship in the middle of the Sea of Galilee at the behest of Christ, at the commandment of the Lord. He said, you go to the other side and I'm going to stay here and pray. There was one time he was with them. And in that time he said, let us pass over to the other side. And right in the middle of the will of God, right in the place where they were, which was right smack in the middle of God's will, a great storm unlike any they had ever encountered apparently overtook them and was just about to swamp the ship. They, had, they were walking in darkness and had no light. So what is it that we do in those times when we are walking in darkness and have no light? And it's kind of leading us to what we're going to see about Job here as we bring this to a close. He said, Who is among you that feareth the Lord, that obeyeth the voice of his servant, that walketh in darkness and hath no light? Let him trust in the name of the Lord and stay upon his God. You say, preacher, I'm in the middle of a dark time in life. I'm in the middle of a storm of life. I don't know what's going on. I don't understand why it's happening. I can't figure out where I'm headed. I can't figure out what the purpose of God in suffering this to come upon me is all about. What do I do in this case? Is it time now to be like Chicken Little and cry out that the sky is falling and run around like a chicken with your head cut off? No. It's actually more important now than ever that you... Trust in the name of the Lord and stay or wait or lean upon your God. I read this quote as I was studying uh, to preach tonight. And according to the writer, it was attributed to Bob Jones Sr. from Bob Jones University. And this is the quote, and I think it's a very apt quote. Never doubt in the darkness what God has taught you in the light. Never doubt in the darkness what God has taught you in the light. I'm going to use our experience here Sunday night. Sunday night was one of the highest mountaintop experiences here at Zion Church I've ever experienced. I can't remember a time. In fact, my brother said he thinks that maybe have been the best message ever preached out of Zion Primitive Baptist Church pulpit. And yes, I was just as offended as you are, Brother Buddy. Just kidding. No, I wasn't offended because I agree wholeheartedly with him. That was amazing. And the night was just amazing. It was one of those nights that uh, I almost couldn't contain myself sitting on the bench over there because the spirit was so evident. It wasn't, Brother Adam was a wonderful preacher, yes, but he was wonderfully blessed. That's what happened Sunday night. By the time bedtime got here, I was laying in bed, Sherry and I, we just turned the lights off and, um, she said, what's wrong with you or something to that effect? I said, I'm just, this, this is wrong and that's wrong and the other's wrong and we got this problem and this person disappointed me and that person's not doing right and I'm not feeling good. And she said, can't you just remember <laughs> what happened tonight? I said, oh yeah, <laughs> oh yeah, that's right. <laughs> we had a mountaintop experience. The Lord was manifest so mightily tonight and you know, Really, I don't always do this, Brother Buddy. Oftentimes I just say, yeah, yeah, but I can't, I can't get over this. That night, I got over it. 
And I got happy again. I felt joy again. And all day Monday, I, things weren't going right, but I was having uh, feelings of, of struggling and things. And I'd think about what happened. And what I was thinking about was not just Zion Church and not just that night, but I was thinking about the name of the Lord. I was thinking about what He has done for me. And I, I was thinking about what I had learned in the light on the top of the mountain there Sunday night. And I remembered it in the darkness. And I quit doubting. You see, don't doubt in the darkness what God has taught you in the light. And then as we go on here, verse 9, he stripped me of my glory. He took the crown from my head. Now, again, we're beginning to see some self-righteousness. We're beginning to see some pride. We're beginning to see, we've already seen that he's, he's blaming God for things that, that God didn't do. But he says, here, I'm like a king who's been dethroned. Job had been a great man in Uz, in the land of Uz. And now he's just a poor, sad case in the dung heap, scratching himself with pot shards. Verses 10 and 11 and 12, he talks about, he compares his situation to a building that's destroyed. He, he compares his situation to a tree that's been uprooted. He compares him in verses 11 and 12, his situation to a besieged city. He really, verse 11 says, He, speaking of God, also hath kindled his wrath against me. In other words, God has declared war on me, and I'm isolated and alone. In verses 13 through 22, we won't read those, but just understand that Job is feeling some isolation and loneliness here. He's alienated from family. In fact, his family was destroyed for, for the most part. He's alienated from friends. He's experienced bankruptcy, sickness, pain. All of these are isolating factors. He sees himself to be an outcast. Nobody is his friend. But I want to tell you something, beloved. And this brings us to something very important that Job remembers. You may feel yourself to be alienated. You may feel yourself to be isolated. You may feel yourself to be outcast. But there was one with a capital O who ate with publicans and sinners. There was one who touched and held the lepers who were outcast. There was one who accepted gifts from a woman who had been morally corrupt. There was one who was crucified and killed between two thieves, two sinners. Christ identifies with the outcasts of his people. And that brings us to verse 23. And this is how I want to close tonight, if the Lord will help us. You see, old Job, remember, old Job gets it wrong in some places. He's already, he's still blaming God. He's got some pride. He's struggling. But I believe part of the patience of Job the consistency of Job, the patience that is talked about in James chapter 5 and verse 11, you've heard of the patience of Job, is found in statements like this. I want you to listen to this in verse 23. Oh, that my words were now written. Oh, that they were printed in a book. Job is about to say something that he thinks Everybody needs to hear that they were graven with an iron pen and lead in the rock forever. In fact, Job believes that what he's about to say ought to stand forever. 
And praise God, it has and will stand forever. Because here's what he had to say. He is not focused right here on God has declared war on me. God has destroyed me. Poor pitiful me. I've lost my family. I've lost my friends. I've, I've bankrupt. I'm outcast. He's no longer focusing on that. God has blessed him with a knowledge here that, uh, that he didn't read in a book, by the way. Because he didn't have the book of the Bible then. He says, for I know that my Redeemer lives. And that he shall stand at the latter day upon the earth. And though after my skin worms destroy this body, yet in my flesh shall I see God, whom I shall see for myself. And mine eyes shall behold and not another, though my reins be consumed within me. These words that Job wanted to be graven in the rock with lead forever have been graven in the hearts of every child of God who's ever been born of the Spirit. I believe that's the great hope that he puts in us. Hope is one of the fruits of the Spirit. Joy is one of the fruits of the Spirit. When John the Baptist leaped for joy in the womb of his mother, I believe he leaped for joy because although he could not vocalize it, although he could not verbalize it, he probably couldn't even form the thought. He knew he was in the presence of one who was mightier than him. He was in the presence of the one who would stand at the latter day upon the earth and though after the skin worms would destroy the body of John the Baptist, John the Baptist, even in his mother's womb, had some inkling, had some hopes, had some uh, understanding that in his flesh he would see God. <laughs> he didn't have all the words to describe it. He didn't have all the understanding that he needed then. But praise God, Christ identifies with the outcasts of his people. Christ has taken upon him the iniquities of us all. Christ has become sin for us and people like Job who knew they needed a Savior who struggled and suffered more mightily than anyone in his day, could finally have the hope that they needed. He could just, he could rest in that. He's struggling with his friends. He's struggling like Paul struggled in Romans chapter 7 with a sin curse within him. And how he struggled in Romans chapter 8 with a sin curse around him, the sufferings of this present time. Paul put it in these words. He says, for I know that all things work together for good. Now, he's not talking about sufferings and, and sin and temptation and all these things. There's a lot of things working against you, child of God. The world gets that all mixed up. Oh, everything that happened, God's causing everything that happens and he's working it for your good. That's not what he's talking about here. We certainly believe in the providence of God, but Romans 8, 28 is not a providence verse. Romans 8, 28 says, I know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. Most people stop there, but praise God, Paul didn't. He said, for whom he did foreknow. Job is struggling with friends that have forsaken him, a wife that's caught, encouraged him to curse God and die, a God that he believes has forsaken him. In, in so many ways, he says, God is trying to destroy me. But Job had this great hope within him that he was one of the number that was foreknown before the foundation of the world, whom he did foreknow. Them he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called 
that's regeneration. Whom he, did call, whom he called, them he also justified. That's, cross, that's Jesus dying on the cross. And whom he justified, them he also glorified. And that's what Job is talking about right here. He's talking about the glorification. He does not understand and have the details of what's happening in between. But he knows he's got a Savior. He knows that Savior must save him if there's any saving to be done. And he knows one day I'm going to be with him. I don't know about you, but that comforts me in my fears. That uplifts me in my despair. That causes me to rejoice when there's no reason out in the world I should rejoice. When I'm struggling with pain and sickness and, yes, even death, I can rejoice that although I may die, this may be the final sickness of my life here on this earth. And although the deliverance may not come in this life, yet there's coming a time when even this old body that's a shell and that's constantly deteriorating will stand before the one who bought it, the one who paid for it, the one who loved it before the foundation of the world. With all his troubles, Job clings to the only hope that is real in his life. Resurrection. I want to say to you, beloved, he didn't know much about it. I still don't know a lot about it, but I know more about it than Job did because we read about it over in the 15th chapter of 1 Corinthians. You know, that's 15th chapter of 1 Corinthians, I believe, is Paul's Job chapter 19 book. Paul said, Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. He talks about the immortal, the mortal putting on immortality, the corruptible putting on incorruption. And he said, the time's coming when we'll say, O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy fear? You see, the sting of death is going to be taken away one day. I don't know about you, but I know I'm not in Job's condition. But there's often times when it seems like trouble after trouble after trouble just keeps coming upon me. But in those times, if I can remember what Job remembered, I can rejoice. I can shout out with him, I know that my Redeemer lives. You know, God comes on the scene a, a few chapters from now, about 19 chapters, something like that. God comes on the scene and asks a bunch of questions that Job couldn't answer. But there was one, there was one question he could. Job didn't know much that he could tell God, but he knew his Redeemer lived. Praise God for Job and his great hope. That is our great hope today. Thank you for joining us today on the Zion Primitive Baptist Church podcast. I hope the message has been uplifting and beneficial to you and that the Lord will continue to bless you to grow in grace and knowledge of the truth. Join us again tomorrow for another message of God's sovereign grace. If you would like to subscribe to our website, please go to www.zionpbc.com and sign up for email updates. If you have any questions, please feel free to contact the church at zionpbc1847 at gmail.com. That's zionpbc1847 at gmail.com. Or you can email me directly at jchrismacool at gmail.com. That's the letter J-C-H-R-I-S-M-C-C-O-O-L at gmail.com. Again, thank you for listening. May the Lord bless you is my prayer. We thank you for listening to today's message. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com.